things about prayer is that we can pray anywhere, anytime, about anything. But where do you go when you really are in a jam? Where do you go when you're overwhelmed by the circumstances of life? Do you have that place, a prayer closet, a special place when you got nowhere else but God? that you go to get away and focus. Pray with me now. God, our Father, we come before you this morning, and we know that you are God, and we are not. And there are so many things in this life where we get ourselves in trouble because we try to do it our way instead of your way. So God, we come before you this morning, and we ask you, that you'd teach us by your word today, that we'd be encouraged by the example of the first church of how to respond to the challenges in our life. When we're discouraged, when we're fearful, when we're worried, when we're overwhelmed, when we don't know what to do, that we would turn to you. And maybe more so, Father, when we think we do know what to do, when we think, I got this, that we would humble ourselves and turn to you. So God, speak to us now through your word. Challenge us, change us, inspire us, encourage us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The great benefit of our great challenges is our great need for our great God. I'm going to say that again now, and I'll say it again throughout the sermon today. Of our great challenges is our great need for our great God. When I run into a situation I can't handle, where do I turn? What do I do? Who do I ask for assistance? As Christ followers, we know we should ask God. We know we can ask God. We know that prayer is always available to us. But what we see today in your Bibles, if you turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 23, where we're going to begin today in just a moment, is that the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts. And so if this is the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts, there should be some things that we as believers can learn from it. This was the first church, newly established, newly minted, still figuring itself out. They didn't have buildings like us or fancy sound systems and uh, uh, instruments like we do. These were just people meeting in homes, following Jesus and being obedient to him. And if you're in Acts chapter 4, I'd ask you to look back a page or two to see the context. Remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is taken up into heaven, but he told them, wait and pray until I send you a gift that's coming, and then they chose a replacement for Judas and Matthias. And then in Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes with signs and wonders, and Peter then addresses the crowd, and thousands are saved that day in the early churches established. The end of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following is a summary statement of how they continued to meet, devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread. They were filled with awe, everyone says, and all the believers were together in Acts 2, 42, 43, and 44. Then notice Acts chapter 3. 
Peter and John are going to the temple. They were still keeping their Jewish customs of praying in the afternoon at the temple. And a man sitting outside the temple says to them, hey, do you have some money for me? That was his job. There was no social security, no disability back in those days. This was a man, the scripture tells us, was disabled from birth. So what could he do? He could ask people to provide for him. And that's what he was doing. What does it say there in verse 6? And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. The dude jumps up, walks, runs around dancing and screaming. And for the first time in his life, because previously according to their custom, he had been unclean and he could not go into the temple. He was outside the temple gates. Now he is going into the temple and a crowd of folks is drawn again. Peter preaches his second sermon. Starting there in Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And guess who gets upset? The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leading council. The same Jewish leading council that conspired to put Jesus to death now is mad at Jesus' followers for this ongoing harassment they would see of upsetting the peace that they have established as Jewish leaders. And that's what we have happening in Acts chapter 4. We preached that sermon a few weeks ago. You can go back and look at that on our videos or our podcast or anything like that. But in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22 is the confrontation of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. They throw them in jail overnight. They bring them to trial in the morning. Peter preaches boldly to them as well. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, you got to love Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus made all the difference in the lives of Peter and John. Spending time with Jesus made them who they were, bold in their faith. So much so that these powerful, educated men, the Sanhedrin, couldn't do anything with Peter and John. They said, stop talking or we're going to be mad at you again. And Peter and John were like, who are we going to obey, you or God? Far better for us to obey God. And Peter and John go out. And that's what leads us to where we're at in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 today. If you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand with me together as we read Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through verse 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand that should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. May God add to the reading his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Peter and John, released from their overnight imprisonment, released from the trial before the chief priests and elders, a phrase there used to summarize the Sanhedrin, go back to their people, their people meaning their friends, their people meaning the other Christ followers that were gathered together, this core group of believers in the church. And then this prayer is recorded in verse 24 and following. Matter of fact, the prayer takes up half this passage of Scripture and what we're going to talk about. And so what we can learn from this first is the first point on your outline is where do my prayers start? Where do my prayers start? What is it about this prayer that we should use as an example with the situation, with going to their friends, their family, their church, their people, and they turn to God in prayer. And the first thing we see at where their prayer starts is who God is. Their prayer started with who God is. I wonder if sometimes our prayers are less than powerful because our faith is less than it need to be. Granted, we can ask God to increase that in us. But because we start our prayers with our situation, with our problem, with our fear, with our challenge, rather than starting with who God is. Because when we lift up our problem, and our problem seems so big to us, it might be hard to see how God is bigger than our problem. But look at the example of the believers here and what they did. They focused on who God was. The first thing is that He is. He's a God who makes. He is a God who makes. He's a God who makes. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to the sovereign God. So this is the response of the believers to Peter and John's testimony of what had happened. And all the prayer that's recorded, even though it's recorded as if it's one person praying it, it may have been one person, but you get the idea that this was a prayer meeting and these were multiple people praying over heaven knows an indefinite period of time. But this prayer that's recorded here is a summary of that. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This point and the next two points, we're just following the verbs. And the first thing they say about who God is, is that He is the maker. The better word would be the creator. I can make something. I can make a new set of shelves, you know, get some wood, cut it up, screw it onto my walls, screw it together, whatever I do. I've made some shelves, but I didn't create the shelves, did I? I didn't make the wood that grew. I didn't, you know, make the iron ore that was made into screws. I didn't make the electricity to power my drill. No. God is the creator, though the word here is make, but we know what it is that he's creator, and he's bigger than anything. Everything that was made and has been made come from God. Scientists talk about the Big Bang. They talk about evolution, and everything must come from matter. What they can't answer is where did that first matter come from? Where did that first energy come from? Well, we know the answer. God. 
God started everything that was and is and is to come because He is the author and sustainer of all creation. God makes. That's the first thing to know about Him. The second thing is that God speaks. God speaks. Look at verse 25 through 26. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And he explains there what David is quoting. And you kings of the earth take this to show you where that comes from. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers together against the Lord's anointed one. God speaks. The Bible recorded over 2,000 years time with 40 different writers is amazingly unified. Why is it so amazingly unified? Because there's one author, God. And God spoke by the Holy Spirit to all these different writers through all these different situations over 2,000 years to write a book that has timeless truth that you and I study even today. The reason the Bible is the center of our worship, the reason that we have Sunday school and small groups, the reason that you read daily devotionals and Bible readings is in order to hear from God through His Word, the written revelation of the redemptive relationship of God and humanity, where God of the whole universe reaches down to you and to me to demonstrate His love to us, to bring us to Him in order that we might know Him personally and our lives might be changed forever through eternity. God makes, God speaks. The third point on your outline is that God decides. God makes, He created everything. God speaks, He reveals Himself to explain His creation, His purposes, His being. And then the third point there is that God decides. Commentator Ajith Fernando says that when we gaze at our sovereign God, we need only glance at our problems. Let's think about those words for a moment. Gaze means to study to think about intently, to have our vision fixed, our mind fixed on something. Glances, it's quick. It's just checking over your shoulder to look at your blind spot to make sure nobody's coming so you can change lanes, right? That's a glance. A gaze is intent. A gaze is fixed. What their prayer focused on was who God is. He's a God who makes. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who directs. He's sovereign God. And when we focus on and gaze at that sovereign God, then our sovereign God becomes bigger than our problems. And that's the example the first church sets for us here is he is a God who decides. Look at what it says in verse 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this very city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Because we live in this world and we're bombarded by the media of this world and the messages of the people in our lives, we think that people are in charge of this world. We think that powerful people and powerful organizations are in charge, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is in charge and that everything that happens in life is either because God causes it or God allows it. And it's within the scope of His sovereignty 
The Bible tells us that God can change the hearts of a king just like a farmer would change a water course and direct it wherever he wishes. God is in charge. It's a reminder of God's sovereignty that even though we may have a problem that looks like, God, why would you allow that problem in my life? That there's something that God is after with you within that problem because He is sovereign. And nothing is going to happen in your life that God doesn't allow into your life because He is sovereign and He loves you. We know He's ultimately in control. We know who He is, sovereign and loving. The great benefit of our great challenges is our great need for our great God, sovereign loving, caring for us, knowing everything that is in our life. So we talked about where does my prayer start? Let's move on to the second major portion of our sermon. And that is, what does my prayer ask? What do my prayers ask? Again, sometimes we start there with asking for things. And I don't think God's going to say to us, oh, you didn't follow the pattern of the first church in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, just like Pastor Aaron said here, shame on you, I'm not listening to your prayer today. No, God's not like that. This is an example for us, an example that we put God first and God's sovereignty first, God's love first, so we're reminded of how great God is first before we bring our problems to Him. So that God is bigger than our problems. The great benefit of our great challenges is that our great need for our great God. A long time ago, when I had thick and lustrous hair, it's true, I did once upon a time. And when I wore Miami Vice-inspired pastel colors because I was cool like that, or at least I was really trying hard, Trust me, you don't want to see my senior pictures. My youth group was named Jam. Jam. We had Wednesday night jam because we were cool, you know. It was the 80s. Wednesday night jam. We had a pastel logo too. Go figure. But you know what jam stood for? Jesus and me. Jesus and me. It was a simple reminder to us as teenagers that we're just figuring out who we are and working out our personality with all our hormones and our big hair and our pastel clothing that Jesus would be with us through whatever. What about you? You may not wear pastel clothing or have big hair, but do you remind yourself of that when you get in a jam, when you have a problem, a challenge, a worry, a fear, that it's Jesus and me? And that my prayers ask not just anyone, but God who's sovereign and loves me to take me through this. So your sub-point there, what do my prayers ask? What God alone does. There's certain things in life that we have the ability to do. I have the ability to get my car key and go sit in my car because I have a key to unlock it. You have the ability to do all sorts of things as well. You can drive cars, you can make meals, you can do laundry, you can build things, you can think things, you work for different employers and do amazing jobs, and I'm generally in awe of all the stuff that you as my friends and church members do. We do lots of stuff on our own. That's not good grammar, sorry. We do a lot on our own, but there are certain things that only God can do. Even though we might speak the words and try to convince somebody's mind, only God can change it ultimately. Even though we might 
try to appeal to someone's heart, only God can soften it or break it. And even though we can share the gospel, only God by the Holy Spirit can have someone humble themselves and ask Jesus to be their personal Savior and Lord. There's certain things only God can do because He is sovereign and I am not. He is God and I am not. And so we need to keep that in mind. And that's why the example of the believers in this prayer starts with who God is, but then they move to what God alone can do. He's our ultimate source of strength, of wisdom, of hope, of faith, of guidance, of peace, of anything. That's who God is. So big requests need big reminders. A big need needs a big creator of everything, God. A big concern needs a big author of all knowledge, God. A big worry meets the perfecter of big faith, God. Where do my prayers turn next? Well, here's what he will do. Here's what he will do. The first sub point there is he will consider our needs. He will consider our needs. Go back to our scripture. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. God already knows what the Sanhedrin says. The two apostles, Peter and John, who had been before the Sanhedrin, had reported it to their people. And although it's not bad if you name things off to God in detail, and many times we should pray in detail, we shouldn't just say, God bless all the missionaries. Do you know a missionary personally that you can pray for? God, take care of my family. Do you know a family member personally? Well, yes, you know them. But can you pray for them specifically and ask God to do specific things so that when he answers, you know it's God. Consider their threats, they say. We serve a God who knows. Who's threatened you? Who is threatening you? Have you taken it to God? Have you shared your needs with Him? Your physical needs, your emotional needs, your health needs, your financial needs, your spiritual needs, your vocational needs, your educational needs? What do you need? What feels like a threat in your life that you need to say to God, consider their threats. Consider the things that I'm facing, God, and name them specifically and ask God to do what only He can do. God will consider our needs, the second sub-point there. God will enable our witness. The second half of verse 29, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Evangelism was the supreme task of the first church. They started with a small group. The apostles and other believers in Jesus They were given the Holy Spirit, and it expanded by thousands immediately. And then in the end of chapter 2, it says God added to their number daily. In the end of chapter 4, it says again, God added to their number. So they're growing exponentially, this first church. Heaven knows how they did it all and stayed organized. They met together regularly. They prayed together regularly. They were intimate in their relationships as the Holy Spirit inhabited and enabled them. But what do they say? Enable our witness. Where did we lose it? Where did we lose that fire to ask that our witness would be enabled? Is it because we live in this Christian nation, in this Christian town of Lincoln, and we just assume everybody's a believer in Jesus, and we just assume everybody's going to heaven? We don't witness to them. 
We don't ask them about their personal relationship with Jesus. We don't invite them to a relationship with us, a relationship with our church, or a relationship with Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. You know, this past year, it's been easy to use COVID as an excuse. Things haven't been normal at church. Things haven't been normal where you could have folks over because, you know, you didn't want to make them feel weird. You didn't want to feel weird. You didn't want to get together face-to-face for a coffee or lunch. Or even when you talked to your neighbors, you might have kept a further difference than before. And it just felt weird. We all know that. But in the midst of COVID and those concerns and those frustrations, there's an opportunity too. To talk to people about how they feel and what they think. To share biblical advice for them. To pray with them. Not just say, I'll pray for you. But say, hey, let me pray for you right now. And if you're okay with it, put your hand on their shoulder or something or hold their hand and pray with them and invite them to consider a personal relationship with Jesus. Invite them to church. If they're like, I don't want to go yet. Hey, you can watch it online. We'll talk about the sermon when I get home. Remember, the great benefit of our great challenges is our great need for our great God. God will consider our needs, enable our witnesses. And the third sub-point here, this one's kind of something else. God will perform signs. God will perform signs. Now, signs and wonders, as they're referred to here, let's read verse 30. They prayed, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Now, if I said it before, I don't believe God has given the spiritual gift of healing anymore. There are some that say they possess the spiritual gift of healing, that all the time they can walk around and whoever they prayed for gets healed. I think those guys are charlatans and their theology is wrong. I think that was for the apostolic era when the apostles were still living and God was using those signs and wonders to attract people to establish the church, that the signs and wonders showed that God's power was real, that it was a demonstration, a validation of the preaching to establish the early church. So even though I don't believe certain people have the spiritual gift of healing anymore, I wholeheartedly believe that God can and God will still use miracles. He's still God, amen? And He can do whatever He wants to do. If I say God can't do something, I'm saying He's not God. If God wants to do a physical healing, He can do a physical healing. If God wants to make something grow where nothing was before, God can make something grow where nothing was before. If the doctors say there's cancer all over and they go back and take another image and the cancer's gone, God can do that. We've seen it. We've heard about it. God is still God. He still works in signs and wonders and miraculous ways because He's still God and we can still pray and ask for it. And I wonder if we're a little too shy and we don't. Because our faith thinks, well, what if God doesn't answer? How am I going to feel then? We should still pray for it. We can still pray for it. That God would be God. That God would do things only God can do. Not be limited by our imagination or our lack of faith. There's some folks that say that all miraculous signs and wonders have ended. Others that say that Miraculous signs and uh, wonders still go on and people possess those. I would say we need to take our balance in the middle from Scripture to neither extreme, that there's not no miracles or all miracles, 
But just as we see in the book of Acts that God used miraculous signs and wonders from time to time, not every day, but in order to demonstrate that He has supernatural power over the natural world, in order that He has shown that He has miraculous power over what is normal. We consider who God is and what He will do. He considers our needs, enables our witness, performs our signs. Let's look at the end of this scripture because this is pretty cool where it comes down to. How does God respond to my prayers? Verse 31. Filled with the Holy Spirit, this place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think this is what it is. It's another miraculous sign and wonder. An earthquake, if you will, timed at just the very moment that they all said, Amen. As one more sign to them that they were praying to the sovereign God, that God heard their prayers, and He was going to answer their prayers and enable their strength. I don't know that you've ever been somewhere and God confirmed it with something physical. Now, there's been a point in time when I said an amen to a prayer, and I was up on a mountainside in an F-15 fighter, because I was in southern New Mexico outside Cloudcroft. F-15 fighter from Holloman Air Force Base flew by, and boom, there was a sonic boom right after I said amen. I'm not kidding you. I was like, okay, either God or the U.S. Air Force approves of my prayer. <laughs> but maybe there's been other things. You get done praying and somebody comes and says something to you that's almost an answer to your prayer and you're going, is that God or did that just happen? That's a little too coincidental. If it's too coincidental, have you considered it may be providential that God did it on purpose to confirm your prayer? You get done praying about something, you turn on the radio and it's a Christian radio and the song answers your prayer. You're like, oh, God can do that. God still moves. It may not be an earthquake, but God confirms His prayers. And here's the answer to that. As only God can. As only God can. After they prayed, the place where they prayed was shaken. But look at the result. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You may not have been in a place that literally had an earthquake, but did you have such an experience with God that you were changed? That the way you were before prayer, which was worried and fearful, and you had all these big problems, but you took them and you saw that my God is bigger than my problems because He is sovereign and He is loving. And then you brought your request to Him and you said, God, you got to do something about this. But then you come out of it and you're like emboldened because you've spent time with that sovereign and loving God. You've thought about His character. You've thought about His ability. You've prayed for those things and the Holy Spirit has filled you in a way that is new and fresh and you are ready to rock, to do business with whatever comes your way because you know God has got this. We're reminded that God's sovereign. We're reminded that God can do anything. We're reminded and inspired because of who God is and what God does. Let's look at our May scripture of the month. It hearkens to that same idea, and that's in Acts Chapter 5, verse 42, read it with me. Acts 5, 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 5, 42. 
Let's pray together. God, our Father, we see the problems or challenges that the first church was in here today. And we saw how they responded by focusing on who you are and what you alone can do and how you answered. And a miraculous sign is one thing, but how you filled them with your Holy Spirit and enabled them to speak with authority and power is another. And God, may that be true of us with the little faith we have that we would come to you and ask you to fill us with greater faith, that you would confirm your power in our lives with signs and wonders and miracles, that it wouldn't just be coincidence, but providence in which you answer, in which you demonstrate your great love and care for us. So Father, we come before you today and know that some may be hearing my voice that are not yet believers in Jesus, whether they're children or teenagers or adults, here in the room or online, we ask that they would commit themselves to follow Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord today. They don't need to know all the answers. They can't. But they do know that they need a Savior to save them from their sins and to give them a life filled with the Holy Spirit that would change them. And God, for those of us that are believers in Jesus, we pray that the words of this sermon would be true in our lives, that we would be filled with such power by your Holy Spirit because we've spent time with you in prayer. Thank you, God, for your word for us and the example of these first believers for us. May we live them out today in the midst of everything that challenges us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.